I'm an alcoholic and my name is Lisa. Please don't add on to that anymore. <laughs> By the time we thank people, we'll be saying it, and then the meeting will be over, you know. A um, couple things before I start. I wanted to thank the committee for uh, asking me to share at this meeting. I, uh, when they called me up, I just sent in a tape, just, yeah, why, why not, you know? And they, when they called me up, he said, you know, you're going to either speak at the Friday meeting or the Sunday meeting. And I started laughing, you know. Me? <laughs> you know, why me? And, uh, and I thought about it, and I just said, God, this is an awful privilege that you've asked me to do this, that I'm able to share with you a little bit about, of what you've given me. And, uh, and I was just completely honored. And, of course, I got off the phone and called my friends and said, guess what? <laughs> and anyway, I, when, he, when he called, when Chris called me, I said, you mean you're not going to call me back in two weeks and tell me you found something better? <laughs> And then my sister called me up and told me that I was doing this meeting, and I thought, God, you know, what, what an honor. And the only thing that I said to myself was that I hope I'm able to share with you a little bit of what God's given me and a little bit of the spirit that, that I've received throughout my sobriety. If you would have told me that eight and a half years ago that I'd be standing up here um, at a Young People's Conference of Alcoholics Anonymous sharing with you my, my spiritual experiences, and wearing a flowered dress and having natural colored hair, I'd, I'd laugh at you and tell you to fuck off. <laughs> because the picture that I had of myself was this. When I was 60 years old, I was going to be in a rocking chair with a big long peace pipe knitting with my friends. That was the picture that I had of myself when I got old. Um, today I don't have that picture of myself. Today I don't even know what I'm going to be doing when I'm older, but I know it'll be a lot better than that. I, uh, just to share with you a little bit, I want to, you know, stick to the basics. I want to share with you a little bit about what it was like, what happened and what it's like for me today. And, uh, you know, I think everybody who speaks at a conference should get an hour massage before. It just is the most incredible thing. <laughs> it relaxes you so much that you don't even know what you want to say. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I never had, I've always had a, a lot of words to say. So if you get tired, just tell me to shut up. The past year of my life, when I, we hosted Ikipa last year, and at that time in my life, it was probably the most painful time of my life, and I was really unhappy and really uncomfortable and um, really just not physically healthy, um, not spiritually healthy and not mentally healthy. And, um, and I thought, well, I have eight years, you know, what am I doing? I'm supposed to be this person and have these messages and... And in December, something changed, you know, and my life started to change. And, and it was like the Spirit of God came back into me and my spirit came back. And I was able to, to lift myself out of the ground, is how I felt, and bring myself back into the person that I've always wanted to be. I went through a lot of pain and a lot of change and a lot of incredible growth. And I just hope that I'm able to share with you a little bit about what I've been given and the beauty and the gift of sobriety. The most important thing that I have today is that I'm sober today. That's it. And that I have that opportunity. Hopefully, I'll be sober the rest of the day. You know, and when I first got sober, it wasn't 
you know, I, I thought when I first walked into the room, all I wanted, I just didn't want to feel that pain anymore. I just didn't want to feel that incomprehensible demoralization. I didn't want to be lying on the bathroom floor throwing up. I didn't want to be waking up in someone else's bed not knowing where I was. I didn't want to be this person who didn't care about themselves, who walked around and said, fuck you, all the time. All I wanted to be was me, but I didn't know how to do that. I didn't know how to share what I had inside with, with anybody because I wasn't taught that. I wasn't taught principles in my life. I wasn't taught how to give. I wasn't taught how to love. I wasn't taught how to be nurtured or, or, or know how to nurture. And when I first came in here, that was what I wanted. I just didn't want to feel that way. And after a while, I started getting a little greedy, and I said, well, sobriety just isn't enough. I just didn't want to be sober. I wanted that new car. I wanted all that stuff. You know, and it really doesn't matter. That stuff doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you gain. All that matters is that you're sober today. And my belief is that if I'm sober today, then everything else will just happen. You know, I'll be given the tools that I need. I'll know what path I need to follow. I'll trust in God enough. You know, and we walk around with so much fear. I was walking around with so much fear for so long. And all I had to do was to say, God, it's yours. Take it. You know, do with me as you wish. And uh, I, uh, I started drinking when I was 10. And, you know, I hear people say, well, I came from, I used to think that I came from a normal family. You know, whatever normal is. But I also thought that, well, normal, normal families, I guess 10-year-olds don't go out and start drinking on a regular basis, you know. That must have been something going on in my life for me to go out and start getting loaded at 10. And through the process of recovery, I've, I've come to realize that I didn't really have anybody there to watch out for me. You know, my parents got divorced when I was 10, and, and it was up to me, and I had an older brother and sister, but it was like I wasn't given any nurturing. I had no one there to say, it's okay, you know, it's okay for whatever, you know. And, um, and that was kind of the start. It was like, that was the start of my drinking when I was 10. And when I was 12, it became a regular basis. I was stealing alcohol from my parents. And, and I was the kind of alcoholic that, I mean, I didn't just take a drink. I was, I mean, I was the kind of alcoholic that every time I drank, I just wanted to get completely obliterated. That was my primary purpose in drinking. I didn't just, like, have a drink of wine, a glass of wine or anything. I mean, I either took the whole bottle or I watered down the rest of the vodka, you know. It just was about that. It wasn't about anything but just getting drunk. <laughs> There's so much I want to share with you, and I don't know what God wants me to say, so. Don't tell me to breathe, because I am. <laughs> if I wasn't, I'd be passed out on the floor. <laughs> but, you know, for me, it was like, I can sit up here and I can tell you my story and I can tell you everything that I did, but what it really comes down to is, like, we did it all. You know, it really, really doesn't matter what I did or what I, you know, how much I drank or what drugs I did or what kind of alcohol I drank. I know it brought me here. It brought me here enough to stand up here and share with you my experience. You know, I know for me that when I got sober, I was in, I was completely out there. You know, at the bottom of my drinking, I was probably, I went through, a, <laughs> I want to share with you a couple of the phases that I went through in my life to kind of just let you know that I really didn't look the way and act the way that I do today. When I started drinking and I, I started getting into the heart and of my drinking, I started hanging out in San Francisco. And I grew up in a suburb of San Francisco, about 20 minutes away. And 
And I started hanging out in San Francisco, and I started um, hanging out in the streets. Most of my money that I got to buy drugs and alcohol was through panhandling, um, or ripping you off, or selling everything I had. And, uh, and I thought that was cool. You know, I thought it was cool to go to my friends and say, yeah, I got really loaded last night, and I did that, and panhandled on the streets. And, and all they said was like, oh. So of course those people I didn't want to hang out with anymore because they weren't doing what I was doing. And then when I, got, when I started hanging out in San Francisco, I started drinking on a regular basis. I mean, drinking every day. I got kicked out of regular high school, and I was sent to an alternative school. And I would leave that school at noon. I'd go off to San Francisco, and I would drink for probably 11.30 at night, and I'd go home and do it again. And the high school that I went to was like, everyone was getting drunk and loaded. I mean, we could smoke in school. Half the school was out in the bleachers getting high. And the teachers would just come out and say, I don't care what you're doing. Let's get to class. And that was the kind of school that I went to. And I lasted there. And so that was what I did on a daily basis. And I went through many changes. I, um, the funniest thing is, when, before I got busted, I decided that I was hanging out with the wrong people and that I should probably do something different. So I went to the barber. And um, I, got top, I got my hair cut, like really trendy punk rock haircut, and um, dyed my hair pink. And, and the funniest thing was, was like my mom was sitting down and she was reading the newspaper, and, I'm, and I asked them what to do, you know, and they cut my hair, and then she pulled down the newspaper, and she was like, what did you do to your hair? <laughs> and, um, and that was just the start. I mean, I went through a lot of, of, different, of different phases in my life, and, and I hurt a lot of people, and we did, I just did a lot of things. I, from, uh, I just am so grateful to be here, you know. Um, I've been to, this is my fifth Ikipa, and I'm just kind of like wanting to share with you something. And it's just so hard to express to you my love and my gratitude for God. And that's my understanding of God. That's how I've come to believe. It's just really hard for me to share with you the beauty that I've been given. You know, um, I'm living way beyond my wildest dreams today. If you were to tell me that I was going to be not only a high school graduate, but a college graduate, I would have laughed in your face. You know, if you were to tell me that I was going to be, before this meeting, I mean, if you were going to tell me that I was going to sit with my closest friends on the floor and do the third step prayer together and talk about the beauty and the love that I have of friends, I, I don't think I would have believed you. But when I walked into these rooms, these people came to me and they said, I said they said to me, keep coming back. And I said, why? I said, keep coming back because it'll get better. And I said, you know what? I have absolutely no evidence of it ever getting better in my life. None whatsoever. And they said to me, they said, believe it because we do. And I took them on that faith. And I took them and I said, okay, I will. And they dragged me off the coffee and they said, this is how Alcoholics Anonymous works. And they told me about Alcoholics Anonymous and they shared with me the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous which I suggest to anybody who wants to know about the program of Alcoholics Anonymous reads the first 164 pages, because that's where the program of Alcoholics Anonymous lies. I'm only here today to share with you my experience, and that's all I can share with you. You can either like what I say or not like what I say. Take what I say. You know, it's like they tell you when you first get sober. You know, listen to the similarities, take what you need, and leave the rest. And if you don't hear anything today, I'm sorry. I hope I can share with you a little bit about... And uh, 
but just a little bit. When I first when I first walked into these rooms, I had a, five different colors in my hair. I was um, it was a mop head. I wore a jacket, a jean jacket that had on the bottom of it, "We are the people your parents warned you about." Um, and uh, and all the people said to me was like, "You were so angry, you know, because I came right from the streets." You know, all I, every word I said, I mean, I was like gutter mouth. You know, if my mom washed my mouth out with soap, she would like spend all her money with soap, you know. Every word out of my mouth was fuck with mother in there every so often, you know. And uh, I was vulgar and crude and rude and socially unacceptable. <laughs> and that was what I wanted. You know, I wanted that. Because I said, I said to myself when I was in high school, I said um, that I didn't want to be like you. You know, but dying inside me, there was this little person that said, God, I wanted to be like you so bad. I just wanted to be accepted. I just wanted people to like who I was. But I didn't know how to do that. I didn't know how to be who I am today. I didn't know how to share the joy and love of anything. You know, I mean, and it was self-explanatory. I mean, I went through a phase, like, all my friends were bald, you know. So I thought, okay, I'll do it too. So I went home. I went to my friend's house and she shaved half the side of my head and I had bright red hair on one side and shaved on the other, you know, and I went home and, and I was wearing this red hat and I slept in this red hat. And my mom came upstairs and she said, you know, Lisa, actually I was downstairs in the kitchen with my sister. She said, you know, Lisa, normal people don't sleep with hats on. So what'd you do to your hair this time? Because <laughs> I kept trying to tell her, you're like, mom, I've got head lice, I have to shave my head. You know I mean? I felt like, why would anybody in their right mind want to shave their head? For me, you know? I said, well, you know, everyone, everyone's doing it, Mom. <laughs> so she said to me, she said, you either grow your hair out or you shave your head. And I said, okay, I'll shave my head. And I mean, it went with a phase. I mean, I was like a hardcore punk rocker living in the San Francisco, hanging out in places, um, hanging out where bums used to sleep in abandoned breweries. I was like walking the streets in the middle of the night, um, trying to cop as much as I can, you know, drink as much as I could. I was sleeping in BART stations. I was sleeping behind banks. I was sleeping wherever I possibly could. I was squatting in houses. I was panhandling for money. Um, I went through a phase where I not only shaved my head, I shaved my eyebrows off. That was the time that I had spiked out black hair. It was a different phase. But I, what I was trying to do was, like, I wanted people to like me, you know? I wanted to be... <laughs> okay, okay, so I wasn't a cheerleader. I was a punk rocker. I tried, you know? I just went the opposite spectrum. But, but it, it was like whatever, you know, I believe like whatever scene we were in, you know, those people accepted us. And that those people accepted me for exactly who I was. No one else did, but they did, you know. And, and I think I liked that shock treatment. You know, I liked scaring people when I walked down the street, you know. I liked having that scrunched up angry face. I must have or I wouldn't have been doing it, but... And today, I, you know, today, I'm not an angry person. Today, I don't say fuck every other word. I only said it because I was, you know, expressing it. <laughs> but, um, and I don't dress or look or act the way I want to act. That I am finally that person that was dying to come out and be who they really are. <laughs> it's taken a long way to get there, but... But, but at the time of my bottom, I, my, my parents... My, my father was my geographic for me. He said, you know, Lisa's out of control. 
we got to take her away. And my parents were divorced, and I lived with my mom, who I could take complete advantage of. I was a very, very good, you know, we al alcoholics are very good con and manipulators. I could convince her that I wasn't the problem. It was my brother. And, um, and she would believe me. And, 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 and this is how my family life was. My, my father would call, and he would say, you know, Lisa is uh, doing this, this, and this. And I would say, Mom, nah, -uh. now who would you believe? Your ex-husband or your daughter? And she believed me in her own sick denial, you know. And uh, so what ended up happening was they sent me to they sent me to camp. First they sent me to sailing camp. First I was going to go to the Caribbean. I had just shaved my head, right? I'm going to go to the Caribbean. I'm going to go to sailing camp for six weeks. I was totally stoked. Yay! And instead, they sent me to Maine. I'm this punk rocker right off the street. She, I think, I don't know if she did or not, but she like took me to like a beauty salon, you know, trying to like do whatever they could possibly with my hair. Because <laughs> I had about an inch of hair, I don't know what they could do, but. And she said to me, you know, you know I went to camp and I brought some drugs with me. I thought, well, you know, just in case. And uh, I ended up actually sending it back to my friends because I thought, God, you know, that would be the worst thing to trip out in Maine, not knowing anybody. <laughs> so I sent it back to my friends and um, that was probably the only time in the six years that I was drinking that I was ever sober. Completely unwillingly, but sober. And my mom even bought me preppy clothes, too. <laughs> you know, and, and being, being the wonderful lying alcoholic that I was, I thought I would lie to these people and tell them, you know, I mean, you go to this place, you could tell them anything you want. I told them I was a junkie. You know, like, why? Of all the things, I could tell them I was this rich kid that came from this, had everything I wanted, but I told them I was a junkie. And, uh, and odd, I wanted to be high so bad. That was all I wanted to do. I turned 16 at this camp. And um, I remember sitting on the phone with my mom crying, going, I want to go home. <laughs> but it was like I came back and I gained weight, you know, healthy weight, not unhealthy weight. <laughs> and um, I came back home and I said, drop me off in the city. And that was when my, um, I hit my bottom. You know, I became a garbage can. I would go up to anybody. If you had something, I'd take it. I didn't care what it was. It changed the way that I felt, then I would do it. And then I would find out later, like, you know, half hour later, oh, okay, it's that. <laughs> I drank anything I possibly could. I mean, I was like a 151 Bacardi drinker and tequila, Budweiser, you know, all that. And, and, and that was like, and Ripple. I drank Ripple and Nitrine. That was my wine of choice. <laughs> so. You know, it's funny, you can sit and laugh at yourself and go, God, I'm so glad I'm not that way today. You know, that's the beauty of this program is that I can sit up here and I can laugh about what I did. And you can laugh with me and I can tell you that I'm not that person today. And that I haven't found it necessary to drink since, you know, since I got sober. And, uh, and so my, next, my parents' next adventure was to send me to boarding school. But my mom wanted me to be close to home because she didn't want me to be too far away, which is still how she feels, but for different reasons. Uh, so I went to boarding school and I get off this bus and and, and uh, stores that I shopped in were like the Salvation Army thrift stores. And at this time, I had probably no personal hygiene. I probably wore the same clothes all the time. Yeah, I did wear the same clothes all the time. I didn't care about what I looked like. I never wore a bra, never... Um, really cared. I mean, it was cool to look grubby. It was cool to look like shit with my friends. I mean, it was really cool to look like that. 
it was cool to like have matted hair and um, be unclean. At least I thought it was. But, uh. And they sent me to boarding school, and I lasted at boarding school probably two months before I got expelled. And I never tell this story, but I think I will. I got expelled for yawning in class. It wasn't just one little yawn, it was like a five minute yawn. Ah, you know, one of those big, long, stretch yawns. So she called my parents and expelled me. And I mean, of course, you have to understand, being the alcoholic that I am, and it wasn't the first time she called my parents in a matter of two or three months that I was at this boarding school. And through the time that I was there, I probably I had black and blonde hair, and I had a black and blonde eyebrow. <laughs> it was my face, you know. And I wore skin-tight jeans that you probably had to pull on with a hanger, um, combat boots, or like, I don't know what kind of boots. I either wore a Converse tennis shoe, and I had a bondage strap strapped around the back of my pants. And I wore shirts that, like, you know, your, my chest would hang out if, I, if it happened that it would, you know. I just didn't care. I didn't care. I wouldn't wear anything. I wouldn't be caught dead in something like that today, except for if I'm sleeping in it, you know. But uh, I just wanted to tell you, share with you a little bit about what it was like. I got home, I got expelled from the boarding school, and I got home, and there were these girls at my school who were going to, uh, and uh, they were going to other 12-step program, they were raising their hand. I said, well, what do you do? And they said, well, we just raise our hand, and we say we're an alcoholic and an addict, and that's it. I said, okay. I thought, well, I've always been the good codependent that I am. I thought, God, I'd really like to help people. <laughs> like anyone would really listen to me, you know? I'm 16 years old. At this time, I dyed my hair black, and I was trying to, like, bleach it out. Don't ever bleach black hair. That's how I got the five different colors. I had like calico head, you know. <laughs> so, I felt sorry for myself. <laughs> so I get home and, and I was really lucky. I, um, it took me about two months to get sober. I called up this number and, and I'll tell you it was one of those God things. Because I found this number in the phone book, and I'll tell you, after that, I couldn't find that number again. I have no idea what number I called, but I called up this number, and I talked to this lady for a couple hours on the phone. And I don't know, I can't tell you today what it was I talked to her about, but I talked to her on the phone. And she said, uh, she told me about a meeting, and I called up this using buddy of mine, and I said, hey, want to go to a meeting? I said, okay. And, and I remember, I popped a value before I went, and I remember going, and I remember... Um, calling, you know, is it okay if you're late? <laughs> I had no idea what, what Alcoholics Anonymous was. I had no idea that, that I was going to walk into that meeting and that was going to be the last time I found it necessary to drink up until... <laughs> My sobriety date is December 6, 1983. And, uh, and when I walked into these rooms, first meeting I walked into, and I'll tell you, this is something I don't see enough in my area, but I had five people come up to me, and they came up to me and they said, hi, I'm so-and-so, welcome, and they gave me their phone number, and this one woman wrote the serenity prayer on an envelope, and she gave me her phone number, and they said, keep coming back, and they dragged me off the coffee, and they taught me about the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, and at this time, there wasn't a lot of young people in my area, there wasn't a lot of young people. I'm happy to say that there's five people that I got sober with today, and we're all getting... It just started in August, our first person with nine years, and I'm the last in December. And we're all still sober today. And that is an incredible gift. And when I walked into these rooms and they said that to me, they said, keep coming back. 
And I was so angry, and I was so unhappy. But you know what? There was something in here that was so special and so beautiful and so wonderful that I wanted it. You know what? And I wanted it bad enough to do what it took. And I'll tell you, that's what it is. If you want what we have, you have to be willing to go to any lengths to get it. It doesn't fall in your lap. The one thing that I learned was like, you can't just stay sober by going to meetings alone. You have to work it. And I'm real strong when it comes to that, but it's not hard. It's not hard to do. It's just a lot to do. You know? And when I first got sober, I went, to, I went to coffee every night. I hung out at the Alana Club. I went to 500 million meetings a day. I exaggerated, but you know. You know what I mean. I went to three meetings a day. I hung out. I was 16 years old, and uh, I got my first job. I had jobs when I was drinking. I, I had a job licking envelopes, and I got fired. And this is even better. I had a job with my father, and he fired me because I was unpresentable to the public. So, I got a job working in a deli. At this time, I mean, it, I was still in my punk phase. It was really hard for me to break out of that. Uh, my mom kind of wanted me to be preppy. She bought me some preppy clothes. I just wasn't ready to wear them. And that's the whole thing. It's like, when you're ready to change, you'll change. But I tell you, it has to happen. Change has to happen in, in life. You have to change, or it won't work. Um, and for me, it took me a long time. When I was six months sober, I had a relationship with a newcomer. It was like one day sober. And, uh, <laughs> hey, I was in my first year. Give me a break. <laughs> my, my, my excuse to my mom sometimes in my first year was like, but it's God's will, mom. She's like, <laughs> she's like, I'm not going to go for that one. <laughs> You've been saying that a little too much. So she started, you know, she started growing along with me. I spent my first four and a half years of sobriety living with my mom. And um, she started growing along with me and started not taking so much denial and didn't, start ta didn't like my manipulations. And but what I want to talk about was my third day of sobriety, I walked into a coffee shop and I was sitting down and, and all I could talk about, and honestly, all I could talk about was sex. I'm 16. I'm supposed to, right? So I, you know, I go and I talk to all these people and they said, well, just don't worry about it, Lisa. Do you have a sponsor yet? Well, no. They said, well, how about that woman over there? So I met this woman, and, um, and it always was very sad for me because when I had 10 minutes of sobriety, she died. She moved away when I had about um, six months, I think. But she was the saving grace for me because at 90 days of sobriety, I came out of that cloud. And I called her up, and I said, I want to get high. I want to get loaded. I want to get drunk. And she said, meet me at the Alana Club. And she sat down and she talked to me. And that's what it's about, you know. If I want to drink today, I get on my knees every morning. And, and, and I looked at this. When, I, when they said to me, you're speaking at the spiritual meeting, I said, okay. I need to reevaluate what I do in my life today. If I'm going to say something, then I need to look and make sure that I practice that in my daily life. Because I don't want to come up here and tell you something I don't do. And today, you know, and sometimes it's not every day. But most of the time, I get on my knees or I get, or I'm standing up, and I ask God to help me stay sober. Because I know that all I have, this is probably the only part of the book I'll quote, all I have is a daily reprieve, and that's only contingent on the maintenance of my spiritual condition. Okay? And when I talk to people and I ask them what happened when they go out and drink, I say, did you pray that morning? And when you ask them and they respond, they say, no, I didn't. And for me, it scares me. Because I want to stay sober today. And so I know that if I pray and I ask God to help me stay sober, then I know I'll be sober today. 
And for me, that's important. Because you know what? It doesn't matter how much money you make. It doesn't matter what kind of car you drive. It doesn't matter what kind of clothes you wear. What matters is what you have inside. Because you know what? I only see what's beauty in you. I don't see what beauty you have on the outside. When you have beauty on the inside, it comes out, and people see that. And, um, and all that stuff, all those cars, you know what? That's just an extra plus. That's just an added plus. That's just an extra gift that you get from God. It's just all it is. And I've had many times in my sobriety where I've had that all taken away, and you know what? I stay sober, and I lived, and I knew that it wasn't about that. All it was about was Lisa inside and growing and loving and understanding and being and becoming the person that I am and working with another alcoholic. And, uh, I, you know, at about one year of sobriety, that was the time for me. I was still being a punk, and I wasn't in that relationship anymore. And, uh, and I knew something had to change. I was working the steps. I was working with my sponsor, but I was still old behavior. And something said to me, and I said to myself, you know, people are going to judge you on the way that you choose to present yourself. And I thought to myself, I want people to see me, the beauty and the person that I have inside. So I wanted to become that person that I was inside, on the outside. And I remember sitting in my room, ooh. Uh, (laughs) It's really dark in here now. I can't see all your faces. But, uh, but I went in my room and I started, I had my whole ceiling was plastered with punk flyers of all the shows that I went to, right? So I went in my room and I started taking them down. My mom came in and she started helping me. <laughs> Here, let me help you. Shall we go shopping now? <laughs> the beautiful gift of today is that um, my mom said, you know, I'm so proud of you. I'm going to buy you an outfit for your speaking. So she bought me this outfit, you know. And she's so happy I'm wearing flowers and colors today. <laughs> but, you know, if I'm going to share with you, I mean, I, I've been sober longer than I've been drinking, that I was drinking. And um, my life in sobriety is mostly incredible. Um, it's not hard for me to stay sober. What it's hard for me to do sometimes is to live life. Because you know what? I've never been 25 before. I've never been on my own before. I've never gone through puberty. And I'll tell you, it's a bitch to go through sober. <laughs> it really is. It is. You know? And, and, and I'm not trying to like, say that I'm different than anybody else because I'm sober and I got sober when I was young. But it's just different. You know, we all go through our stuff. But I'll tell you, it was hard. It's hard being a young person sober. It's hard going to a school where no one else is sober. At the time, there was no one else sober at my school. And I walked around and I told everybody I was sober. And in my whole entire sobriety, I tell you, I only had one person tell me it was stupid. It was some guy who kept getting busted by the police, you know? So who am I going to listen to? <laughs> but when I walked, you know, I, I started going to meetings and I started working the steps. And after that change happened, I started slowly becoming the person that I wanted to be. I started growing my hair and slowly started wearing colors. It took me a long time. I mean, a long time. It took me growing up, basically, and to become a woman and to become who I am, to, to start wanting to, like, wear makeup again. You know, I mean, I used to wear makeup. It took me an hour to put on my makeup. But it wasn't like makeup I'd want to walk around town in, you know. I mean, it was, you know, eyebrows up here, dark colors, white makeup, you know, I mean, spiked out hair. 
that kind of stuff. And today, you know, I don't need that. But what I want to share with you today is I want to share with you a little bit about what I do for me in my daily life today. But I want to share with you something. I, when I had about three and a half years of sobriety, and I was going to about nine or ten meetings a week, I was Miss AA, and I was sponsoring a lot of people, and I was really involved in service. And, and that's the thing. I got involved in the bid committee for, for California. And what I want to, one of the things before I get into talking about, about that is I just want to say that one of the things that I love so much about my life today is that I'm living it. Okay? And it was really, really important for me that I take what I learn and I go out and practice it in the real world. It was really important. I didn't want to be 60 years old and still going to 10 or 11 meetings a week. Okay? And I'm not saying that that, that is wrong. Okay? I really, really, really strongly believe in individuality. Okay? And I really believe in that there are people who are meant to do that. There are people who are meant to go to meetings that many times. There are people who are meant to sponsor 20 people and go to 10 meetings a week. But for me, for me, I wanted to go and I wanted, you know, I said, I've got another opportunity at life and I want to live it. And I want to live it to the best of my ability and I want to go out and I want to share with the world the beauty and the love that God has given me. Okay? So, back to light again. No. And, and I started working, you know, when I, I started working the steps and I started doing all this stuff, I mean, all this stuff started coming to me. And um, I, I moved away from my home and I moved to San Francisco and I started college and I went to six and a half years of college. But I graduated from college and I have a bachelor's in speech. <laughs> but for me... For me, it was the most incredible gift of my entire life, besides my sobriety. Because I'll tell you, I never thought I was going to graduate from high school. I never thought I was going to be 21. You know, I never thought that I was going to be doing anything that I'm doing today. And the reason why I'm doing it is because I have a God in my life, and I'm sober today, and I practice these principles in my affairs. Okay? This stuff does not happen by osmosis. I used to believe that a money tree would go in my backyard that God was going to call the perfect employer and say, hire Lisa because she's a really good worker. And the guy was going to call me up and he was going to say, you know, God called me and told me to hire you. <laughs> My belief today is in action. This program is about action. It doesn't happen by sitting in these rooms, just going to meetings. If you want it, you have to work it. And I say have to because that's what it's about. It just, you know, there's a part in the book, it's my favorite part in the book, and it says it. And it was the theme of our conference last year. But I'll tell you, it's, it's the most important part. And it says, there is a solution. Almost none of us like the self-searching, the leveling of our pride, the confession of shortcomings, which this process requires for a successful consummation. But we saw that it really worked in others. And for me, that's how it is. It's required for me. If I want it, and that was what they said to me, if you want what we have, you have to be willing to go to any lengths to get it. If you are willing to walk five miles to get drunk, then you better be willing to walk five miles to go to a meeting. And I'll tell you, it's not easy. It's not easy for me. You know, the longer I stay sober, sometimes the harder it is, but I make sure that I have a home group. 
you know, and I make sure that I have other meetings to go to, and I have, I, uh, I know, guess I wasn't meant to say it. <laughs> so, but for me, I am incredibly grateful um, beyond my wildest dreams and, and hopes. Um, the past year for me has probably been the most beautiful and incredible year of my entire life, and I deserve it. And I only say that because I had two years of pain, okay? And I don't, and I, you know, there's people who walk around and go, you got to be happy, joyous, and free, and this and that, and, and I really believe that. But sometimes you just got to go through these things to get to outside the other door. You know, I mean, life for me is not, it's not something just like, oh, okay, life, Whew. you know? People used to think, life is hard. I mean, I know that you all agree with me, and I just think it's really important, and it was really important for me to hear that, that life can be hard. It's not going to be a bowl of cherries. It's not going to be easy sometimes. It's going to be tough. But all that matters is that we're sober. You know, it doesn't matter what you go through. As long as you stay sober through whatever you go through, you've got it. You know, and you do, and you take these, this simple kit of spiritual tools, and you take it, and you go out, and you practice it in your everyday life. And for me, I want to live. I had something happen to me. I had another spiritual experience in my life. My whole attitude and outlook upon yeah, my whole attitude and outlook upon life had changed. And something had happened, and it said, you know, I had this whole set of things. Okay, graduated from college. I'm going to work at this place, and I'm going to work there for about a year and a half, and then I'm going to go to graduate school. And all of a sudden, God said, no. I don't think so. I think we're going to give you something a little more special than that. And I said, okay. Completely giving it to him. And that's what it's about. It's like, when I walk around today and I'm afraid, I'm out of faith. Okay? And what for me it means is that I need to walk with God. And if I walk with God's hand on my shoulder, I have absolutely nothing to fear but what God wants for me. And I made that decision when I said the third step because I turned my will and my life over to the power greater than myself, and I said, do with me as you wish. And today, I'm not afraid of that. I welcome it. I don't welcome, I welcome change, and I welcome things I don't know. And I used to be so afraid of the unknown. But I'll tell you, you know what, I have no idea what I'm going to be doing in two months. I know that I'll probably be working at the job, but I don't know if I'm going to be traveling, or if I'm going to be living at home, or if I'm going to be living where I live, or I'm going to be in somewhere else. And I say that only because I want to travel, and, and the gift today for me is, is that I have these dreams, and they're not just dreams that I talked about on the bar stool. You know what I mean? We sit and we talk about all these things that we've always wanted to do, but yet we never did them. And I don't want to go through my life, and I don't want to be 50 years old and say, God, you know what, you should have done that, or you should have done this, or you should have done that. I want to say, you know what, this is what I did. And this and this. And I want to take sobriety by its horns, and I want to ride it, and I want to go for everything that it's worth, because i got another chance at life, you know what, and I'm not going to live this life again. And, 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 if, and if there's any message that I can say to you, just trust in God enough to let go. Just trust enough to let go. And I mean really let go. Really let go. And it, take, it took me a long time to, to live in one day. Just one day at a time. And it took me a long time to just not have to figure out everything I do or analyze or control my life. 
If I want to control, I'm not trusting in God. If I am in fear, I am not trusting in God. If I am thinking too much, I mean, I mean thinking too much. Sometimes it's okay to think, but thinking a little too much where you go, and then da 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 you know? <laughs> and then, and I don't know, and I don't know. When I'm, I don't know, I need to trust in God, okay? And, and if God bothers you, it's a higher power, whatever your belief in a power greater than yourself. And I believe that that's how it works for me, okay? I can't tell you how it'll work for you. I can only share with me. If you come up to me and ask me my opinion, I will give it to you, but I won't tell you what you should be doing unless you come to me. It's not for me to judge you, okay? And that's humility. It's not for me to judge what you're doing. I will love you unconditionally through whatever you go through because you know what? People loved me unconditionally through everything that I went through, sober and drunk, okay? And I need to give that back to other people. Along with living life, I believe in service. I believe in a balance of service in your life. And there's two different points to that. You know, there's, there's service, which will keep you from yourself. And there's a balance of service in your life. You know, there's a point of, of, of finding a balance of not only service in your life and meetings and talking with your friends, but being with yourself and doing the things that you need for you. And for me, that means that I need to be body, mind, and spirit. And for so long, I walked around mixed up, even sober. And for me, it means to be one with me, body, mind, and spirit. And for me, that means to be healthy and to eat healthy and to be healthy. And um, it could mean something totally different for you, and that's why I'm here sharing you my experience. And, you know, right now, I, I, about a month ago, I went to Jamaica have to mention Jamaica because it was the most incredible beautiful thing that ever happened I mean there's so many beautiful wonderful things I probably have a list of 50 million things that are beautiful and wonderful but that's just one of them I wanted to it was my 25th birthday and I wanted to go away and I and um, I work at a travel agency so I got a really good deal and I went with my girlfriend and we had the most incredible time she's back there <laughs> Is the most, I mean, to, the beauty of my life today is that I can go away with somebody and not argue. And we spend a lot of time praying and talking and just being with God and, and being with ourselves and meeting people. And we decided that we wanted to take something and we wanted to go out and we wanted to live life a little more. So we're going to go travel somewhere. And we don't know where it is. We decided when we got back, we would look at a map of the world and decide where we wanted to go. And I believe in, like, if it's meant to happen, it will. It just will. Because this happened, just happened. And I believe, you know, if you want something, go for it. You got to do the action. It's just not going to happen. But do the action to get there and it'll happen. And if it's not meant to, God will have something a lot more beautiful and wonderful for you. And another adventure for you to follow. Because we were like all ready to move to Jamaica for six months and work there. <laughs> I'm serious. But my mom said something. She said, well, you know what? I would understand if you'd been to everywhere in the world and you wanted to go back to Jamaica. I said, Okay. I think you should go to Europe for three months and travel around. I said, okay, Mom. <laughs> she didn't say she'd pay for it, but she offered the you know, suggestion. <laughs> and, that, and that, for me, there's just no way I would do that if I wasn't sober today. There's no way that I would live anything that I'm doing today. And I am so incredibly grateful and happy. And I love who I am today. And I'm free. You know, 
And to say that is like so incredible because I was so chained down last year. I was in so much pain. But to walk around and with being free and walking with God and walking in the Spirit is so incredibly beautiful. And if there's anything that I can share with you more today, is just trust and have the faith. Just let it go. Because it'll happen. It'll happen. It'll happen the way that God wants it to happen, not the way you want it to happen. But if you remember and you look back at your life, which I've done, you will see that God has given you what you've always wanted anyway. It's always been what you wanted. You just don't know it until a little bit later. That's how I am. I'm a, I'm a post-panic kind of person. I don't panic until like after the fact. Or I don't realize sometimes until after. You know, I want to... One thing in my life today is that I have the most incredible people. I can tell you today that my family life is pretty much functional. And that is like incredible. My sister has been sober six and a half years. Yay! The beauty, the beauty of this, you know, I told you about my mom in the outfit. My dad is so proud of us that he paid for my hotel room, and this is the second year that he's paid for my hotel room to go to Ikipa. Thanks, Dad. Oh, yeah, my mom did pay for my air ticket out here, too. Thanks, Mom. But, it's, I mean, it's not, it's not like about the money, but the fact that I'm saying is that, is that my relationship with my family is incredibly beautiful. And it's only because I am sober today. That's it. If I wasn't sober, I probably would be dead. And to remember that we are all miracles and that we are blessed with something so incredibly wonderful and don't throw it away. Just stick around. It's going to be hard and it can be painful, but just go through it because you know what? There is a light at the end of the tunnel. And I know that because, you know what, I didn't think I would find it. But this one woman said to me a long time ago when I first got sober, she said, because I said to her, I said, well, I just want to feel joy. And she said, you know what? But if you don't feel pain, you can't feel that joy. You know, and I wanted to feel that joy. And I just knew. I just kept saying, okay, God, I trust you. Just take me. Let me, just walk me down the path. I'll experience what you want me to experience. I'm willing to do that. And, um, and I'm still willing to do that today. And um, the friends, you know, how many people, I mean, I know so many people in here, and it's like, you come to Ikipot, and I don't have to talk to you and tell you what I went through last year. We just hug each other and go, hey, what's up? How you doing? You know, and it's like, we just saw each other yesterday. And keep coming to Ikipot because it's the most incredible feeling. This is my first Ikipot where I wasn't on a bid city, and I've been able to kind of enjoy the conference, except for the fact that I went to bed early last night because I had to be here. But, but it's just so incredibly beautiful. And uh, I'm really, really grateful that I've been given this opportunity to share with you something that you've given me and to have God share with you something that he's given me. And for that, I'm truly grateful.